Jesus said to them, I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. So Jesus is talking about love again. He has a tendency to do that. But I think sometimes we have the sense or give the impression that Jesus comes around and he introduces this new concept of love as if before him no one had ever heard of the idea and it was all just law and judgments. And that's simply not the case. When, for example, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, this isn't a novel idea that he's coming up with. He's quoting Leviticus from the Old Testament. As I've been thinking about what Jesus is doing and all of this teaching about love, that quote from the Princess Bride has come to me. And it's the one where Inigo says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And I think that's a little more the sense of what Jesus is doing as he's coming along. And in the same way that the people of Jesus' time would, they knew about love, they talked about love, we know about love, and we talk about love, but I can't help wonder, we use that word all the time. But does it mean something than other, other than what we think it means? Last week, Pastor Chris cautioned us. I took diligent notes during your sermon last week. He said, be careful that we haven't created Jesus in our image. 
And he's just justifying the way we want to live. The caution here today is be careful that we don't define love in a way that just justifies the way that we want to love. The love of Christ is greater than the love the world offers us, but also greater than the love the world asks of us. The love of God is a two-edged sword in that sense, offering more than the world can give, but also asking more than the world would ask. Jesus' concept of love as we heard about it today in Luke 6 really could be described as Jesus' love sermon is not simply talking about being nice, being decent, being respectful or polite, even being caring and kind. They use Jesus' language. Even sinners do that. There's nothing particularly Christian or Christ-like in being a decent human being with some sense of morality. Jesus isn't here talking about being a good friend, a spouse, a parent, a child, or a sibling. While our children's sermons may often break down to some version of being nice to your brothers and sisters, share with others at school, use kind words, and this may be developmentally appropriate for children, it is absolutely not what Jesus is talking about here. These are good things, of course. But again, all this falls squarely in the category of even sinners do that. And if that was all that Jesus was saying, some version of be nice, his teaching would be a complete non-event. Utterly unnoteworthy, certainly not something to be talking about 2,000 years later, indistinct from countless others who had come before him, and frankly, indistinct from the basic expectations that kindergarten teachers are trying to lay out in their classrooms. We don't really need a prophet or the son of, the God, of God to say, be nice to one another. Jesus' love as we hear him talking about it in his sermon on the plain today is far more countercultural and thus challenging than that. Jesus' love pushes back against our basic sense of what is right and fair. The Eye for an eye, what goes around comes around. Crime, punishment, don't get mad, get even. You get what you deserve, sense of justice that guides the way we generally expect the world to work and the way we generally relate to one another. Jesus understands that that is the way that the world works because it was the same in his time as it is today. And so what Jesus is doing in this teaching on love is interrupting the cycle of tit-for-tat violence that we use to justify everything from sarcastic con comments to murder. They deserved it. Jesus' love is grace applied. 
to your enemies, to those who hate, curse, and abuse you, to those who strike, take, and beg of you. In truth, sometimes they do deserve it, what they have coming to them, some sort of retribution, justice, or punishment. We know that. Sometimes they deserve what comes around to them. So do we, for that matter. But Jesus' concern is not maintaining our sense of what is fair, but interrupting the cycle of violence that only leads to more hurt. Leaders like Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. understood this and put it into practice with their nonviolent resistance. When the fire hoses were turned on civil rights protesters and they refused to physically fight back, it was because they understood that violence would only produce more violence that only love could, own, could overcome violence. Martin Luther King Jr. didn't talk about defeating white people, even those who physically stood against him on bridges and in streets. He didn't talk about winning or defeating. He talked about winning their friendship and understanding. Jesus' teaching is not about loving our enemies into submission, but no longer seeing them as enemies. In Genesis, Joseph gives us another concrete example. Shared the whole story there, and Joseph has every reason in the world to be bitter and angry with his brothers who had sold him into slavery, they absolutely deserve some sort of punishment. And certainly, none of us could judge Joseph if they'd showed up and he'd simply said, I don't want to see them again. I, I want nothing to do with those people anymore. Turning them away would be an understandable and justifiable response as he is confronted once again with these brothers who had caused him so much pain. We can imagine him thinking, I owe them nothing. Or perhaps... Will they hurt me again? By any human standard, he did owe them nothing. And there absolutely was the risk of them hurting him again. Love always is an act of vulnerability. Nonetheless, Joseph forgives them. He welcomes them as brothers. 
opening again the possibility of hurt. And the relationship is restored. It's a small detail at the end of the text we read today that may seem inconsequential, but our text, if you noticed, ends with, and then they talked. You can imagine all that they might have had to talk about at that point, but the walls being broken down and them opening up again to one another as brothers, the conversation that could have taken place after years and years of distance and hurt. This, this is what Jesus' teaching on love is about, restoring relationships. Jesus' love is about breaking the cycle of bitterness, anger, resentment, fear, and distrust that move us further and further and further away from one another. I don't generally think in, in my mind of people as enemies. And maybe many of you feel the same way. We don't think in those terms, and so the idea of loving your enemies is maybe difficult to latch a hold of. But as I've been thinking about it, there are many people who I judge and relate to primarily based upon the ways that they are against or opposed to me or maybe the ways that they have hurt me in the past. And that is treating them as enemies, even if I wouldn't apply that label. If I perceive someone first and foremost as an opponent, that's a non-starter for a relationship. Jesus' ultimate point here is not love your enemy, but to stop seeing them as an enemy. To see them instead as persons like us, in need of love, hurt, wounded, imperfect people prone to mistakes, struggling with their own mess and issues, acting out of their own hurt, and yes, hurting others, maybe us. Basic decency and human kindness Ask nothing more of us than our elementary teachers did. The love that Jesus is talking about goes well beyond that. Jesus is talking about a courageous, vulnerable action. He's also not just talking about a feeling or emotion. He's talking about a courageous, vulnerable action. Jesus 
calls us to such courageous love to push past our fear of others as enemies who could hurt us and see them first and foremost as beloved children of God, created by God with a godly purpose, maybe even in our lives. The descendants of Joseph and his brothers form the 12 tribes of Israel. The nation of Israel and God's work through them, including Jesus, stands upon Joseph's choice to love his enemies and the relationships that such love makes possible. The kingdom of God is built on such a foundation. Love that restores broken relationships and opens up new ones. Love that is courageous and vulnerable. Love that is patient and understanding and forgiving. Love that sees the best of what could be not the worst of what has been. I want to end by acknowledging the difficulty, even the impossibility of such love. By now, perhaps you even have specific relationships in mind. Jesus' teaching on love is healing. That's what he's setting out to do in interrupting this cycle of violence, healing, mending broken relationship. He invites us to prioritize relationship over our pride and sense of fairness, not necessarily admitting wrong because we may not be wrong, simply valuing relationship over rightness. That said, we are broken, sinful creatures, all of us, and those we are in relationship with. Joseph's healing that prepared him to face his brothers again took place over years and years. And in some cases, we may require the same. And I think that God would encourage us to take the time that we need. Relationships are also two-way streets. And while love can interrupt the violence and change enemies into friends, it doesn't always. And I don't think God desires for us to remain in situations of perpetual pain and abuse. Human beings are free to receive the love of Christ or not. 
just as we are free to offer the love of Christ. Or not. And in both cases, receiving love and giving it, we are sinful human beings, and it will be an imperfect effort on our part. The love of Christ that we're talking about here transcends human love. I hope by now it's abundantly clear that we're talking about something way beyond being nice. We're talking about God's love for us. God acts first, interrupting the violence by accepting it, dying on the cross and making a new relationship with God possible. And this love is the model for how we are to love one another, both friends and enemies. But more than a model, this love is the Spirit of God through Christ that dwells in each of us, making this impossible love possible through Christ who strengthens us. The love we're talking about here is difficult and may even seem impossible, particularly as you start thinking in concrete terms about your own relationships. But what I would offer as a final word is the affirmation that our capacity for love, your capacity for love is greater than we know. For it is not our own love, but the love of God within us. Amen.